Phoenix Tales is a community celebrating everyday women overcoming extraordinary challenges in their lives, discovering the fire within and like the phoenix enduring the ashes to rise again. Each of you has a phoenix tale or a phoenix moment. As we create this community of women with grace and grit, share your own phoenix tale or your own phoenix moment on our website. We're honored to hear another story to welcome another phoenix. Today's guest is Dana Slamp, the founder and director of the Prema Yoga Institute, a yoga therapy school in New York City. Hear her recount her journey from a preacher's daughter to now an educator in the yoga profession. Although these two worlds may seem far removed from one another, hear how Dana's religious upbringing girds her now as she continues the family tradition of serving others. Please welcome Dana Slamp. Welcome, Dana. Thank you for coming on to the Phoenix Tales. So I always like to start off by asking the one big question, which Mm -hmm. is, was there an event in your life that was incredibly challenging, either personally or professionally, that might have redirected the course of your life? One was when my dad lost his job, which happened from a church vote. My dad was a minister. So that was an interesting course of events for us as a family. How old were you? Uh, I was 17. Oh, wow. Okay. And so how did that impact your family and more importantly, your sense of security? I'm trying to best describe what it's like to be a PK, a preacher's kid. And for me, it's sort of like being the daughter of a president of a country of 500 people. Oh, wow. If that makes any sense. Yeah, there's this. So you're talking about the level of scrutiny and expectation placed upon the children. A hundred percent. And ultimately what I got out of it was better than the challenges. So my intention here is not to make all preachers with children everywhere feel lousy. (laughs) You know, for a while during my processing and getting to know myself better and, you know, let's admit it, Yuliana, my therapy. Mm-hmm. I realized that my father's profession and to some degree my mother's identity as a preacher's wife, because it's hard on them too, was the earliest, most deciding factor of my personality. I mean, more so even than my gender. It was really Can you be something... specific? So did it make I, you more yeah. of an exhibitionist or more secretive? I would imagine having that kind of scrutiny placed upon you would make me do things behind closed doors, right? That you would never want people to know that you were doing. Absolutely. And my brother and I weren't the stereotypical preacher's kids because preacher's kids are notorious for acting out. We didn't really do that. And we also weren't necessarily goody two-shoes. But yes, I developed a very rich private life. (laughs) And thankfully, my parents in my community very much valued learning. So there really wasn't a book I couldn't get a hand on. And thank God for books, you know, and I know you feel the same way. Books are my guidance to other worlds, but they're also our way into empathy. And that really opened up the world for me, reading. And from that, I started writing early. I do think even today, I've got the residual effects of a kind of 
performative ability, because mm-hmm. as we'll probably get into this, since it's yes. autobiographical, I, one of the arts I participated in professionally was acting. So yeah, you do learn how to speak well in front of a group of people, even if you're an introvert, both able to communicate with groups and I developed a rich inner life. So when your father lost his position at the church, and can you be specific as what church are you guys Baptists or evangelical? Like what denomination specifically? Well, if it's okay, can I keep that private? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, <laughs> but absolutely. I'll tell you a little bit. I'll tell well, you I was a just, I was kind that. of interested because you made reference to the fact that you are allowed to read anything. And I know that certain religious communities have in the past, or I don't know, presently had some kind of censorship on certain types of books that they have deemed inappropriate for their parishioners or children to read. So that was just kind of why I was asking that question specifically. Sure. Well, what I'll do is I'll put it on a map for you. If we had to talk theologically for those who are listening and know these things. It's in the Wesleyan Armenian tradition. So that means that they kind of splintered off from the Methodists because the Methodists were getting too liberal. Uh, there might be communities, maybe in the South or more conservative communities, where there was censorship. In my community, when I was growing up, we weren't allowed to watch movies mm. and we weren't allowed to dance. But strangely, that wasn't regulated by my parents. For most of my childhood, I went to public schools and I think my parents really wanted me to socialize. And I think there was some trust there. And it wasn't until I went to a private Christian college that I was disciplined for dancing. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's really weird to explain. You weren't supposed to drink, smoke, take drugs or chew or go out with girls that do even though I have this like rebellious streak, I love to get away with things that are victimless, of course, but I still like to please people. So at the time I was put on probation for dancing in college, I was the class president and I was really Amy. I was, I graduated Magic Cum Laude and was in the plays and the drama group, the, the sketch group and all that. And I was just like devastated to be put on probation for dancing. So yeah, that was college was just after my father losing his job when I was 17. So it was this long process of determining if this religious community was right for me. Hmm. And I am not active in that religious community, but I'm spiritual. I'm struggling to find the words because we all have different words for our relationship to God. I use the word faith. Faith, yes, I have faith. Yeah, that I have faith. I have faith, absolutely. And again, if we had to trace it back to some kind of theology, I would say I'm a mystic. And I feel that our relationship with God is very close and very connected when we're in nature and we connect with nature. So can we go back to this process of kind of separating your upbringing and that was so infused with religion? Has that been a painful process? Because in some ways you had to excise the religion to be able to do that, right? And I know that for me personally, I, at this moment, truly resent 
where the Catholic Church is today and the people who are devout because it's become so infused with so many things that I just don't adhere to or support. Mm -hmm. And so that sense of losing my religion because of doctrine that these people have taken on, it, Mm -hmm. it, you know, makes me resent that even though I'm very attuned to my faith and have no problems with my faith, but just the fact that I can't, I can no longer be a part of a group that says and does so many things that I can't agree with. So was that a painful process for you? Yes. And there was a long time and it's not so drastic. I didn't get excommunicated. I still go to church with my family members when I visit, you know, I still feel welcome in the church. I just don't live in that community, probably for similar reasons, Juliana. And yeah, it was painful. And for me, it felt like an internal conflict. And it took me a long, long time. I mean, I would put it at really 30 years since this was a conflict I felt when I was very young to realize that it was actually a strength to be able to have compassion and to see both sides of any duality and to remember that and to remember that there's ethical people on both sides of this just horrible divide that we're experiencing in America and just to keep going back to that. Is your father still a preacher or has he retired? Yes. Yeah, he is. He still volunteers for the church and he goes to a church and it's an amazing community for them. For me, I mean, I remember being maybe seven years old and thinking, how could there only be one way? You know, it's the one way that was the first thing that really, that I I really started to question. One way Um, spiritually or? Yes, yes. There's one way that this narrow path, and I'm going to switch over to yoga because this Krishnamurti quote, Mm. there are many paths to truth. Yeah. Truth is a pathless land. Or this Meister Eckhart quote that I'm going to probably butcher. But this idea that you you have to leave the idea of God for God. Mm-hmm. And that That's was beautiful. necessary for me. You know, it was, and it's in my practice now. It's, you know, the leaving of yoga for yoga. That just the need right now, especially just to step back and to listen and to know you live long enough, you know, you don't have all the answers. And just to listen and be more interested in the righteous way. than I've heard you use that word. And it's such a a word for some people can be very loaded. Mm -hmm. So how do you define that word righteous? To me, how I differentiate is, and maybe some of your listeners would have better words, I bet they would. But right makes it sound like there's a correct way. You know, you and I both know there's no like, correct way to do triangle pose right there's the iyengar way and there's the ashtanga way but then there's for me the, the body right, way <laughs> the body way the righteous way the right. way of, of self-study of swadhyaya where you get to co-create this triangle with your client according to their needs and their body and their breath that way and i do think that there's like a righteous way of being a faithful person and for me, when I differentiate between the two, the word righteous has space for the individual and for the personal relationship with uh, the deity. 
Very you nice. know, the personal relationship with God or the universe, truth. I mean, I, I think atheism is is one of the greatest faiths out there. The right way is when we look for answers fast, which it could be at its worst spiritual bypassing. And, you know, that was the second big break I had. We've talked about before is a big breakup that, that really thrust me out of out of the arts into the world of yoga full time. And at that time, I was looking for the right way out. Like I was looking for the quick way to heal. And sometimes there is no quick path. The only way out is through. <laughs> you have to walk through these things. And I think if we step back and we stop looking for the right way and we start feeling for the righteous way, perhaps we'll be better listeners. Perhaps we'll be better able to listen to others in our community that come from different backgrounds and are having entirely different relationship to the world around us than we are. And I think that's what I mean by righteousness. That's lovely. And so you're going to talk about the second big moment in your life that helped redirect your life in a different direction. So can you talk Mm -hmm. about what that challenge was, what it was that fueled this life altering change, apparently, right? Right. So, I mean, now it's... Over a decade ago, I was engaged and we lived in an actually beautiful apartment and I was an understudy on Broadway and it took me a long time to get there (laughs) and um, I got to go on. So even though I was an understudy, I was performing on Broadway and my friends and family got to fly out from the West Coast and see me and everybody understood that not everybody understands. I don't know. Dana's going to work at the Old Globe with Arthur Miller, or going to be at the Shakespeare Theater in Washington D.C. Those aren't real goals that people understand, but people understand Broadway. So that happened, and then nothing changed. It was still just as hard to get these regional jobs, and it was still like having two jobs at once. Always, I was working as a paralegal at the same time and auditioning and doing okay, but not better. I should have known something was wrong in my engagement. (laughs) There were plenty of signs in retrospect, but it still really caught me by surprise because I was feeling really safe and I was disengaged. And that meant that I went from, it was right before my 37th birthday. So I went from being a happy, engaged, (laughs) Manhattanite 36-year-old to being completely heartbroken, 37, and, you know, suddenly realizing just that I was childless and heartbroken. I mean, I was a hot mess. Even though this guy did the right thing, breaking it off, I wanted to heal right then, right? I was looking for the right way and I was doing everything. I was so willing I mean, if I told you the long line of things I did to heal my heart at that time, and it was a long path, and I was extremely depressed. I got a neck injury at the exact same time, of course. So I spent about two weeks with pain tingling down my arms. But during that time, I realized that I just had absolutely no interest in going into a room with casting directors and seeing if they were interested in hiring me to do like blithe spirit. And it was such a joy and such a relief 
to go into a room and to think about someone else and to serve someone else and to be the best part of their job instead of walking into rooms with directors and casting directors and seeing that I didn't always see their joy for the job or for the business. And it was just such a stark contrast. That time of service was really the only thing that was really keeping me buoyant at the time was teaching yoga. So of course I started to do it more and more and eventually started to study more and more. And I feel that the universe used me at that time and gave me some opportunities. Definitely some of them came from privilege because I was at the right place at the right time. I'll tell you that. But I also feel that I was able to serve. And when I looked at the flow of my life, I could see it so clearly going that way. And what came from that actually was more stability and a lot of joy. So you talk about the word serve, that you mm-hmm. that was the one aspect of the job that you really connected to. And I mm-hmm. find that very interesting because I would imagine that that's the same thing and the same sense of joy your father finds in his work, right? in serving his flock, right? In service of God. So I find the parallel very interesting. So do you think that your upbringing and then having your father as a role model in a way, although this happened because of a crisis, in some ways it was inevitable that you would end up serving? Absolutely. Absolutely. This idea of a calling conceptually really hangs over my life. And I believe my father was called and I believe he served. And Just to give you some context, my grandfather was also a preacher and a missionary. Oh, wow. And yeah, and both my uncles as well. So it was really the family business. And I came of age at a time when it felt, when I did not see the opportunities for women in the church. In fact, I still don't see the opportunities for women in the church. But since I'm not in it, maybe it's not fair for me to make that judgment since I am not as active as others that might be listening. But Even the arts were a calling as well, but it's very rare that you get to serve perhaps in the arts at the level that can change someone's day. You hope you can, but many times you're just perceived as entertainment. You know, every year we honor these stories that do serve. When I look at Sound of Metal and Nomadland, these are both movies, and I won't give away any spoilers, that have moments of meditative clarity that come from stillness and from silence. And one character in one of the movies even calls that the kingdom of God. Mm, And yeah, and so do I think that I'm serving like my family serves? And there's other people, and my mom too is a, a public speaker and serves in her community extremely well and is a writer too. And the the answer is yes, I hope to serve. I just felt a strong, strong need to serve in a space that did not tell other people what to do or Mm. what to name God, who to love. Who am I to say who you love? That's just so presumptuous to me. You know, that to me wasn't how I was going to express my compassion to My gay friends, for instance, I needed to be in a space that was like welcoming. And I'm still learning how to make the space more welcoming. But in yoga, to borrow this phrase, which again, no spoilers, but 
came from this amazing movie, Sound of Metal, that stillness, this character said, he thinks is the kingdom of God. And we have that opportunity to empower that moment of introspection, stillness, or quiet when we provide yoga for people. So yes, absolutely. That sense of the woundedness, right? Mm. And, and not using the career for it to serve as the cure for the woundedness. Do you, you know what I'm saying? Like, yes, there's yes. always that fine line between, the, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you found this calling and it, it does become a balm and a refuge. But how do you then separate the ability to not use that as a crutch? This is a very good question. <laughs> and I luckily have this relationship with the community and the universe where when I step out of line, pretty quickly, I get my hand slapped. I'm not saying that there's anybody slapping me, but if I listen, the guideline is there. When I mess up, pretty quickly, I learn that I have messed up. One of my teachers during that time was Gurmook. I did a prenatal training with her, which was extremely healing and amazing. And she said, don't call them your students. They're not your students. They don't Mm. belong to you. Number two, you have to do your own work. If you're a yoga teacher and you're just starting your business, I would suggest having another form of revenue so that you don't project a financial need on your students so that your students can come and go. And really, it took me, I had another teacher in 2010 that said to me, when the student takes a step towards me, I take a step towards them. When the student takes a step away from me, I simply take a step away from them. I just feel so much healthier, just so much healthier and more stable and hopefully more patient with those that are going through similar crises. I think it's the crisis that leads to the revelation. Ultimately, I hope I'm more patient. I hope I'm more kind. Hmm. That's a great way to end. So I always like to ask one kind of off-center question to end the interview. If you could, well, I'm not going to pick a song for you because that's too easy. But if you could pick one book that could sort of describe your life or resonates with sort of your life, what would that book be? One book. Juliana, maybe you can hold me to something. Can I write it? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, but can then I can you come up with the continued? title? Uh, well, no, oh, come up title. with the title. Okay. Which well, I'm horrible about, by the way. I can never find titles for things I write. So, but I'm going to hold you to that. That's why we have editors. <laughs> yes. So, t- so if you had a title for your book that you would write, which I love the idea of, what would that title be? Okay. I've been working with a few. One is PK. That's my first autobiography, Breath Body, and Leaving Yoga. Not that I'm going to leave yoga, but just to take that Meister Eckert concept of stepping back and leaving the dogma for the true righteousness and the true intention of the practice. I think we need to do that every day. and that swaha is a real part of the practice. I think we're doing that in terms of racial equity, that we need to leave 
the wellness spaces that we have created that have inherent bias in them, either subconsciously or consciously. And I think I'm just trying to be a little provocative when I say leaving yoga. Where can I step back from being right? And where can I hold a space of inquiry for myself and others? I think that's really where the true magic lies. That's beautiful. So for the listeners, where can they find you if they want more information about Prema Yoga Institute or you as a yoga teacher and artist? Sure. If you like yoga sequences, kids, I'm currently writing on Yoga Journal. Our website is www.premayogainstitute.com. We have a YouTube channel, same name, Prema, P-R-E-M-A, Yoga Institute. We have some um, videos up that have actually gone viral about self-proning since when we're taping this, there's still parts of uh, the world that are suffering from this pandemic. Self-proning was advised to us by COVID emergency nurses. You can go to YouTube and find those videos for free. And then I'm at DanaSlamp.com, just my name, DanaSlamp.com. And hopefully I'll have some information there for you guys about online videos and stuff like that, articles and press in the program. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Phoenix Tales, a show about women overcoming challenges and like the Phoenix to be reborn, their lives reimagined. Make sure to tune in to our next episode to hear another inspired story. I am Yuliana Kim Grant. The show is edited by Podigy. Music is by Ryan Pruitt. It's like a dream, so let me never wake up. I was so hung up on myself, just like a stick in the mud. A little time, a little patience when I got tired of waiting. Then I found that gem within me sticking out of the mud. And they gon' ask me why I do it. I'ma say this because we gon' be the best on earth, just like we be out in rust. Pass behind me like a book bag, hanging down a coat rack. Focused on the future, not that coulda, shoulda, woulda. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave your comments on the platform where you get your podcasts. If you think you have a Phoenix Tale, please send us a note on our Instagram and Facebook pages. If you just want to stay connected to Phoenix Tales, once again, you can go on to our Instagram and Facebook pages to get all the latest updates.